We do turn to that word uh, now this morning. I'd like to have you open with me to our passage for this morning. Matthew 6, verses 14, uh, 14 through 15, just two verses. Matthew 6, 14 through 15. That's on page number 787 if you're looking in the Bibles here. I think some of you have figured out by now that I memorize every text I preach on, so every once in a while I have to give myself an easy one. So just two verses. I'm kidding. We're continuing our sermon series uh, during Lent, uh, looking at different aspects of our lives and repentance as Christians, and today we look at the topic of forgiveness. So, Matthew 6, verses 14 through 15, and this is what Jesus spoke to his disciples back then, as well as to us as his disciples today. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, then your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, then your Father will not forgive your sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sisters and brothers uh, in Jesus Christ, with the 22nd pick of the 2014 NFL Draft, the Cleveland Browns selected a player who would eventually become one of the biggest stars in NFL history. I'm just kidding. It's the Browns. That never happens for them. They're like the Lions. Uh, Or the Bears. I'll be an equal opportunity offender. Instead, that pick actually would uh, become one of the biggest draft busts in NFL history. His name was Johnny Manziel. Now, at the time, it didn't necessarily seem like he would be a draft bust. Uh, After all, Manziel had just finished two successful seasons as the quarterback at Texas A&M. Known as Johnny Football, he had a knack for playing exciting improvisational football that led A&M to -to back-to-back bowl victories in both 2012 and 13, and his play also netted him a Heisman Trophy Award in 2012. And certainly, there were some off-the-field concerns. Uh, Manziel had a reputation as a partier, and there were some who questioned his commitment to football and thought he might be more interested in fame than playing the game. But the talent was undeniable. And most observers figured that after he was drafted, he would eventually mature and uh, become a force to be reckoned with in the league. That never happened. After just two controversy-filled seasons, the Browns cut Manziel after the 2015 season, and he's been out of the league ever since. He had all the talent in the world, so much ability, and the opportunity to put it to use, too. And instead, he wasted it. Well, in the same way, Jesus actually says something similar about Christians here who don't forgive. You see, just like Johnny Manziel had all the talent in the world when it came to football, the fact of the matter is that as Christians, we have all the forgiveness in the world, right? As Christians, we believe that God has forgiven our sins, wiped them away, and made it as if we'd never sinned nor been sinners in the first place. And it's incredible when you really think about that. And yet, says Jesus, if we as forgiven people don't forgive others, And like Johnny Manziel wasting his football talents, we waste our forgiveness as well. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. As we continue through the season of Lent, we're going to talk about forgiveness, what it both is and isn't, and how we can live it out and put it into practice as those who have received forgiveness ourselves. So let's start first with what forgiveness isn't, with what it is not. 
And this is important to understand, but forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation. And I start here this morning because a lot of people seem to think that it is. They seem to think that those are one and the same thing, right? Forgiveness is reconciliation. Reconciliation is forgiveness. They're two sides of the same coin. They're synonyms for each other. They're the same sort of idea. Only they're not. And I'll never forget the first time that I really understood this idea, the, the distinction, the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. I was actually in a sermon by Pastor Dave Beelan at Madison Square Church right here in Grand Rapids. I attended Madison Square when I was in college and seminary. And I don't remember the exact details, but one Sunday Dave was preaching on the topic of forgiveness. And as part of that, he made a really important distinction between forgiveness on the one hand and reconciliation on the other. Forgiveness, he said, is about letting go of a wrong that someone else has committed against you. Forgiveness is letting go of a wrong that someone else has committed against you. We'll talk about this more in a bit, but forgiveness at a basic level is giving up our right to retaliate against or take revenge against or harm someone who has harmed us in some sort of way. Reconciliation, though, is different. Because reconciliation is the full restoration of the relationship with that person. It's the rehabilitation of the relationship, the normalization of it, the process of returning that relationship more or less to what it was like before the wrong took place. And there might be times, Dave said, when forgiveness is possible, but reconciliation is not. You can forgive the other person, but you can't fully reconcile with them. And then he gave an example of that that's always stuck with me. He said, uh, for instance, in a situation of domestic abuse, there eventually comes a time when for their own benefit, the abused ought to forgive the abuser. The longer they hold on to the pain, the longer they hold on to the anger, the longer they hold on to the hurt, it continues to hurt them. And so eventually there comes a time where an abused person ought to forgive an abuser. But for their own benefit, it may not be right or good or in their best interest to fully reconcile with the person who harmed them or abused them. They, they should let go of their desire to harm or hurt, but for their own health and safety, it might not be beneficial for them to fully reconcile the relationship. You know, for instance, they might move out. They might not move back in. They might choose to break up or separate. They might even choose to press criminal charges. None of that means that they can't forgive the other person. None of it means that they shouldn't forgive the person. None of it means maybe that they haven't already forgiven them. It just means that they haven't reconciled the relationship and that that kind of full reconciliation may not be possible. One of the most powerful examples I've ever heard of this actually comes from Rachel Den Hollander. Rachel Den Hollander, if you don't know who she is, is a Christian and a lawyer who speaks regularly about the topic in the intersection of justice, reconciliation, and then also forgiveness. And her story is powerful because she was one of the first people to bring charges against Larry Nassar, 
the disgraced former MSU and USA gymnastics doctor who sexually abused countless women during his time as a doctor. Rachel was one of the young gymnasts who came under his care and who he abused, and she was the first one to find herself in a police station uh, in Lansing, Michigan on MSU's campus reporting uh, to the authorities what he had done. And she, as a lawyer and as a Christian, has talked quite a bit about these two things and the distinction between them. She's basically said, I have forgiven Larry, but I will not and cannot reconcile with him. And as a lawyer especially, she advocates very powerfully for still pursuing justice against those who have committed wrongs, even if they've already been forgiven. And she makes that point very, very distinctly, that it's possible to forgive and yet also still pursue justice and not fully reconcile. And that's what Dave was talking about in that sermon. And he basically said it takes wisdom. It takes wisdom to know which situations are which. It takes wisdom to know which situations uh, forgiveness might be possible, but reconciliation might not be. And that's because Dave pointed out, while reconciliation isn't always possible in our relationships with others, as Christians, forgiveness is possible. In fact, not only is forgiveness possible, Dave said, as Christians, it's commanded. That brings us, though, to what forgiveness is. If forgiveness isn't the same thing as reconciliation, if it's not the full restoration of the relationship, not a a return to status quo, not a return to what things were like before the sin or the wrong took place, then what is forgiveness? Well, one of the best definitions I've ever come across for for what forgiveness is uh, comes from the one that pastor and author Walter Wangren Jr. gives in his book on marriage, As for Me and My House. It's actually the book that Sarah and I read uh, for our premarital counseling before we were married. And full disclosure, uh, Wangerin is what I like to describe as a writer's writer. Okay, what I mean by that is that he uses flowery, poetic language uh, to express what he's trying to say. And so as such, his writing is beautiful and also not very practical or to the point. Um, He's one of those writers who wants to make you feel what he's trying to say more than just come right out and say it. Um, And so he kind of wraps up his content with stories and vignettes and metaphors and similes, and he never exactly explicitly says what he's he's writing about. And as a former English major uh, who has both written and also read a decent amount of poetry over the years, I loved the book. And as a pragmatic, practical type A nurse, Sarah hated it, okay? Um, And to her credit, when you're preparing for marriage, it's probably better just to read a book that tells you what you need to know, right? Uh, Rather than circle around it 45 times and try to make you feel your way into it. That's why these days when I do premarital uh, counseling with uh, young couples, I only recommend that book for them if I know that they are both English majors and will appreciate it, okay? And yet the middle couple chapters of that book are on forgiveness, and despite all the rest of the what's he really saying vagueness in the book, those chapters are worth their weight in gold. And that's because Wangerin, I think, perfectly describes what Christian forgiveness ought to look like. First, Wangerin says forgiveness is a gift. It's right there in the word, right? Forgiveness. The root word is giving. Okay? That's the center of forgiveness. It's the base. It's the foundation. The first thing that we need to understand about forgiveness, as Wangerin puts it, is that forgiveness is a wholly, complete, unqualified giving. It's a gift. 
and as such, it's undeserved. That's what a gift is, right? A gift is something that is freely given. It's unmerited, unearned, unwarranted. You don't earn a gift, right? If you do, then it's not a gift. Then it's payment, it's profit, it's wages. You don't give a gift to someone who deserves it. You give a gift to someone who doesn't. That's the whole point of birthday gifts, right? Why do we give birthday gifts? You don't deserve anything. If anything, you should give something to your mom. She's the one who did all the work to make sure that you were born, right? But that's the point. That's what makes a gift a gift. It's unearned, undeserved, unmerited. And that's what forgiveness is too. It's an unearned, undeserved gift we give to someone freely who has wronged us. And what do we give when we give this gift of forgiveness? Wangerin says we give up things. Specifically, we give up our rights. You see, when someone harms you, you have certain rights, don't you? You have the right to retaliate. You have the right to take revenge. You have the right to make them feel the way that they made you feel. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, we say. There's a transaction there. You're making them pay. You don't get to make them pay more than what they did or took from you, but you do get to make them pay what they did or took from you. When someone wrongs us, that's our right, right? That's how we make the wrong thing right. We make them pay. But forgiveness gives that all up. It gives up the right to retaliate. It gives up the right to take revenge. It gives up the right to inflict harm on the one who harmed or wronged us. It says, I'm not gonna do to you what you did to me. I'm not gonna make you pay. I'm not gonna give you what you deserve. Instead, I'm gonna give you something that you don't deserve. I'm gonna give up my rights. That's forgiveness. It's a giving up, a giving up of our rights. It gives up a few other things too, right? It gives up our pride. It gives up our anger. It gives up our right to keep bringing the wrong thing up over and over and over and over again and reminding that person of what they did. Forgiveness gives up a lot. So forgiveness isn't reconciliation. What is it instead? It's a gift. It's an undeserved gift. It's an undeserved gift where we give up our rights and refuse to treat the other person in the same way that they treated us. And let's be honest, that's really hard. I mean, who wants to do that? I'll speak for myself here, um, but when somebody wrongs me, revenge feels good, right? Feels good. I like to make people pay when they hurt me or harm me. I like to retaliate against people. I like to make them feel the way that they made me feel when they hurt or wronged me. That feels good. Just ask Sarah. I'm not a very fun person to fight with, okay? Because I'm trying to win. So forgiveness isn't easy. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying this is simple and easy, that it's easy to live out. In fact, I actually think this is getting less and less easy in our culture these days. You see, in our current cultural climate of polarized identity politics, where the middle ground is quickly disappearing, we're moving further and further to the extremes, and we cancel anyone who doesn't think exactly like us, which is a problem, by the way, on both the right and the left. Conservatives cancel people, too. They just don't like to admit it. 
all right? And if I just offended you, forgive me. Um, <laughs> in this kind of context, the truth is that this concept of Christian forgiveness is radically, radically countercultural. To be honest, I think forgiveness, real forgiveness, Christian forgiveness, is one of the best apologetics we have as Christians for our faith right now. Because in a world that no longer understands even the basics of the Christian gospel, I think one of the best and most winsome witnesses that Christians can offer is simply to be people who forgive. And I mean really forgive. Forgive the way we're talking about this morning to give it as a gift, to give it as an undeserved gift, to give it as an undeserved gift where we give up our rights and refuse to treat others the way that they treat us. What do you think the world would think of Christians if we actually did that? And I don't mean this in some abstract, theoretical, conceptual way. I mean this actually in the real world. As Christians, can we practice our forgiveness in a real way? way? For, those, for instance, for, uh, for those of us who are Democrats, can we forgive Donald Trump? Can we forgive those we know who like and support him? Can those of us who are Republicans forgive Joe Biden? Can for, we forgive those we know who like and support him? Can we forgive that family member we can't stand? Can we forgive that neighbor with the yard sign that we disdain? Can we forgive that know-it-all coworker who just never stops talking? Can we forgive that person who wronged us, who we imagine taking revenge against, and who we fantasize about getting back at, who we daydream about making pay for what they did? Can we forgive our spouse? Can we forgive our parents? Can we forgive our kids? In short, can we do what Christians are supposed to do and forgive? Jamel McGee did. He was that type of Christian. He was a Christian who forgave. And to illustrate all of this a little bit more, I'd like to show you a video that tells Jamel's story, as well as the story of the man who wronged him, Andrew Collins. We end this week with a lesson in forgiveness from Steve Hartman on the road. It all went down on this block in Benton Harbor, Michigan. Back in 05, Jamel McGee says he was minding his own business when a police officer accused him of and arrested him for dealing drugs. You saying the officer made it up? Yeah, it was all made up. Of course, a lot of accused men make that claim, but not many arresting officers agree. So you phonied the report? I did. I falsified the report. This is former Benton Harbor police officer Andrew Collins. Were you just trying to chalk up an arrest? Well, basically, the start of that day, I was going to make sure I had another drug arrest. And in the end, you put an innocent guy in jail? Correct. Yeah. You lost everything. I lost everything. My only goal was to seek him when I got home and to hurt him. Really? That was my goal. Eventually, that crooked cop was caught, served a year and a half for falsifying many police reports planting drugs, and stealing. Of course, Jamal was exonerated, but he still spent four years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Today, both men are back here in Benton Harbor, which is a small town, maybe a little too small. Hey guys, thank you. Last year, by sheer coincidence, they both ended up at Mosaic, 
a faith-based employment agency where they now work side by side in the same cafe. Oh, excuse me. And it was in these cramped quarters that the bad cop and the wrongfully accused had no choice but to have it out. And I said, honestly, I have no explanation. All I can do is say I'm sorry. And Jamel says that was all it took. That was pretty much what I needed to hear. Today, they're not only cordial. Saturday, we went to the trampoline park. They're friends. Uh, you know, we talk about life. Such close friends. Not long ago, Jamel actually told Andrew he loved him. And I just started weeping because he doesn't owe me that. Uh, he, I don't deserve that, you know? Did you forgive for his sake or for yours? No, for our sake. Not just us, for our sake. Jamel went on to tell me about his Christian faith and his hope for a kinder <laughs> mankind. He wants to be an example. So now he and Andrew give speeches together about the importance of forgiveness and redemption. Grab this one, set it over there. And clearly, if these two guys from the coffee shop can set aside their bitter grounds, what's our excuse? Steve Hartman, on the road, in Benton Harbor, Michigan. And that's the CBS Evening News for tonight. I first heard that story about Jamel and Andrew a couple weeks ago from Steve Winkle, our Director of Community Connections and Outreach here. Uh, it turns out he actually knows those guys because Andrew Collins, the formerly crooked cop, is now one of the Young Life staff members that Steve works with in his other job down in Benton Harbor. And uh, he's actually met both of them and heard them give one of those talks where they talk together about the power and importance of forgiveness. And that story illustrates what I'm trying to get at this morning. You see how forgiveness like that is countercultural, yet winsome and attractive? You see how forgiving like that offers an apologetic for our faith as Christians? You see how forgiveness might just be one of the better witnesses we can offer for the gospel of Jesus Christ. After all, that's the source of our forgiveness. That's what Wangren in his book says is at the epicenter of forgiveness. That's what powers it and makes it possible for us to forgive. The source of our forgiveness as Christians is Jesus Christ. He forgave us, and so we forgive others because we ourselves have been forgiven. It's just that simple. And we have to remember that, okay? I think we forget that sometimes. After all, as Christians, we like to think of ourselves as the good people, right? We're the good, moral, ethical people. It's all the other scumbags out there in the world who stink, but not us. We're the good ones. And yet, that's not what our doctrine says, is it? We're good reform folks, right? We believe in things like original sin and total depravity. What do those doctrines say? They say we're just as bad as everyone else. We're all in the same boat, we're all sinners, and so God had every right, he had every right to take revenge against us. He had every right to retaliate against us. He had every right to come and make us pay for ruining ourselves, ruining his world, and ruining his creation. And yet he didn't. Instead, he gave us a gift. He gave up his rights. He forgave. And in response, we need to as well. That's Jesus' point 
here in these two verses. Part of what Jesus is telling us in this passage is that there's a connection between the forgiveness that we receive from God and the forgiveness that we offer to others. And honestly, I'm not sure exactly what the nature of that connection is. The commentators I read were sort of all over the map, but the point is the same. Jesus is telling us here that there is a connection between the forgiveness we offer to others and the forgiveness that we ourselves have received from God. They're related, bound up together, and affect one another. If we don't forgive others, then there's no guarantee that we ourselves are forgiven. And that's because our forgiveness of others is part of the evidence of the forgiveness that we have received from God. It's evidence that God's forgiveness is active and working within us. It's evidence that his forgiveness towards us has taken root and started to have an effect in our lives. How do you know that someone is forgiven by God? How do you know that somebody has experienced God's mercy? How do you know that somebody has experienced his grace? You'll see it when they forgive others. As Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 126, puts it in its commentary on this passage, forgive us just as we are fully determined as evidence of your grace in us to forgive our neighbors. In other words, our forgiveness from God is bound up in our forgiveness of others. They each in some mysterious way lead into each other. We forgive others because we have been forgiven and we have been forgiven because we forgive Again, it's not the same thing as reconciliation. It doesn't mean you need to restore the relationship and go back to the way things were. That might not be the best thing to do. It might not be possible. But at the very least, as Christians, we do need to forgive. And yet if we find that hard, if we struggle with that, if we find forgiveness challenging, if we find it difficult, then I've got good news for you. This is exactly the time of year to work on it. Really, any time of year is the time to work on it. But That's part of what this season of Lent is all about. Like I've said throughout this series, Lent is a season of confession. It's a season of repentance. It's a season of contrition and penitence. In other words, it's a season of the church year where we are reminded acutely of our own need for forgiveness. And as such, in that process of realizing our own need for forgiveness, we are conditioned again to be able to offer it to others. That's actually what we've been seeing in this sermon series, right? We started a few weeks back by looking at the story of Zacchaeus and the need for us to reorder our desires around God. That reordering of desires then leads to humility, which we looked at when we talked about the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Humility then leads us to recognize our lostness, our exile, our estrangement from God, which we talked about when we looked at the parable of the lost sons. That understanding of our lostness then helps us to love others who are lost, like we looked at last week with Jesus teaching about the sheep and the goats. And when we love others, it helps us to forgive them, like Jesus calls us to do here. In other words, desiring God leads to humility. Humility leads to an understanding of our exile. Understanding our exile and lostness leads us to love others, and loving others leads us to forgive. And where does forgiveness lead? It leads us to the gospel because we have been forgiven. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We didn't do anything to make ourselves worthy of it. And yet God in his grace, in his mercy, in his love gave us the gift of forgiveness for our sins. He gave up his rights. 
He gave up what we deserved. He gave up making us pay, and instead he gave up his son for us. That's the forgiveness we've received. As Christian believers, let's be people who forgive like that. Thanks be to God. Amen. Will you pray with me? Lord God, you do not call us to an easy life as Christians. In many ways, you don't call us to a life that always makes sense. It doesn't line up with how we feel or what we always want. But God, you do call us to a good life. And as part of that, you call us to forgive. God, thank you for the relationships where reconciliation is possible. We pray for those where it is not. But help us to be people who are willing to forgive all those who wrong us, just as you have forgiven us for all the sins and wrongs we've committed against you. And thank you, Lord, for the fact that you did pursue reconciliation with us through your son, Jesus Christ, and restore us to relationship with you again. Help us to live as people who evidence that forgiveness and reconciliation in our own lives. And we pray this all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.